Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It's Nick here, and welcome to a very special episode of Scale Up Your Business. It is the big 5-0, episode 50. So for all of you who have been following my work since day one, since those first few episodes where weren't quite as polished as I'd like, but hopefully the message was there, thank you so much for listening, for sharing the message, subscribing, telling your friends about what I'm doing. To be to be really honest, if I can just have a, a few seconds to reflect, I, I started the podcast, as many of you know, to help people to share my story. I never realized or even thought that it would do what it's doing now, which is inspiring people to really scale their business and scale their life. And, you know, the message hopefully has been consistent all the way through that I'm a massive believer that, you know, to to get to a life that you can live on your terms, you need to be clear on your purpose, your mission and what you do with your business. So it is about scaling your business, but it's much more than that. And it's your feedback um, every single week that inspires me to keep doing it. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So for the 50th episode, I have a treat, a special guest, so to speak. I have a gentleman by the name of Jerry Colonna coming on the show. And he is the co-founder of a business called Reboot.io, which is an executive coaching and leadership development firm. He's also the author of a fantastic book called Reboot, which is Reboot Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. And interestingly, like, I love having conversations with interesting people. And Jerry's background and mine are very similar. Background in media, background in sort of venture capitalists and private equity. And similar to me, he had an epiphany when he was in this kind of high-end corporate world that it wasn't really the right thing for him and he needed to do something else. And what he does now and what I do now are very, very similar. He has a slightly different approach to it to me, but our thinking around who you need to be, how you need to show up, what leadership is today and and how to be impactful and doing what most people don't do. A lot of those things are similar. So our conversation today is around that. It's quite deep. Um, It goes deep into probably some of the more psychological aspects of leadership. But I think you'll find his perspectives very refreshing. And if you're in a situation where, you know, it's not quite where you want to be right now, you know, you're coming into a new decade and you're thinking, hey, I want to change some things. It could be about scaling your business. It could be about selling your business. It could be about leaving your job. It could be about just changing things so that you're doing things that are more on your terms. This is a great episode just to sit back and relax into. And the key thing, the number one takeaway from my conversation with Jerry, this idea of slowing down to speed up, learning to stand still, you know, giving yourself that space as you go into the next decade. If you do that, you will move much faster and get to where you want to with your business in your life, certainly much quicker. So that's today's episode, The Big Five Zero. Thanks again for listening and welcome to the show, Jerry Colonna. 
Hi everyone, it's Nick here and welcome to a very special edition, special episode of Scale Up Your Business. So this is the 50th episode. So when I first did the first two or three and I sounded absolutely terrible because I was talking to myself for 20 minutes, who would have thought I would have got to 50 episodes? But your feedback as I've been going on this journey has been amazing. Um, I'm inspired by your stories inspired by what you do. Um, So I'm very, very grateful to be providing these episodes for you. And I'm very much delighted today to have a special guest from my 50th episode, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Colonna, who is the CEO and co-founder of a business called Reboot.io. And is also the author of an amazing book called Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. And I know we are going to have an amazing conversation today, Jerry. So I'll let you introduce introduce yourself more formally in a second. But welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Well, thank you, Nick. And congratulations on episode number 50. That's a great milestone. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's funny. um, What I did at the beginning is I had to, um, I was advised to record six episodes before launching because some people like to do a Netflix binge. And um, I listened back to my second episode actually the other day and- did you know you what? Cringe? I don't know what it is, but I did. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because, like, you know, talking to yourself for 20 minutes into a microphone, it's it's a habit that you can kind of improve over time. But when you first start it, it doesn't feel natural. <laughs> no, no, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Yeah. Well, listen, welcome. You know, very, very grateful for you giving up your time to speak with me and uh, my audience today. Do you want to just kick off by telling us just a little bit about yourself and what you do now? And, and then it'd be great to get into your story that's led, led you to what you're doing now. Sure. Um, I get. I guess the the official biography you, you sort of touched upon. I I work with uh, leaders mostly, but I work with folks really at the intersection between who they are and what they do. And um, arguably, my job is to help them lead better. But as my uh, co-founder and partner Khaled Halim likes to say what we really do is kind of smuggling consciousness. So we okay. use their, their terrible fears about the fact that they have no idea what to do to actually provoke them into having meaningful conversation and exploration with them, themselves so that they end up leading from a place of resiliency and equanimity. Wow. Okay. And so how did you get to that? So, you know, what's your story to lead to that sort of mission, that purpose? Well, like anybody who is, and, and I, I know enough about you to know this to be true as well about you, like anybody who is trying to lean into the, this kind of work from an authentic place, I got to this place but through my own struggles. I got to this place through my own breakdowns. And what I often say is that heartbreak leads to resiliency, which then leads to equanimity. And so, um, very simply put, I'm a former venture capitalist, I'm a former journalist way back when. And uh, there was a point in my 30s where the constructed persona of who I was, no matter how much external um, approbation and affirmation I received, um, that the more success that I had, the worse I felt about myself. And to the point where I basically had to just stop and say, enough, I need to completely reboot. I need to completely reset my life. And in a sense, that happened when I was in my late 30s. I'm now 
as of the other day, 56. So I'm an old man. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but uh, 20 years or so later, um, I consider myself the luckiest human on the face of the earth because of the work that I get to do. So to go wow. from a place of feeling suicidally depressed and miserable to a place of joy on an everyday basis is um, in a way in which I get to live out my vocation, that calling from God, um, from the divine is, uh, is extraordinary. That's a gift. It's a gift. I mean, I, it's very rare. So we, we were talking about this before we started recording. It's very rare that I, um, I mean, I, I, I speak to amazing and interesting people all the time. It's one of the things I love about doing podcasting, right? But in terms of, in terms of parallels of your background and mine, I've never read a profile or been introduced to anyone who's got such a similar connection. So my background was media, publishing, journalism. Um, then I went into VC and private equity. Then I had a similar epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I contextualize that by saying I had massive levels of achievement, um, whatever you want to call that, right? You know, career, success, riding the ladder, money, whatever. Um, no fulfillment. Every time I reached the next layer of what I was doing, I couldn't work out why I wasn't getting happier. Uh, to the point where, and my, my audience know this, knows this, I had a, a situation once where I went to bed one night and woke up and cracked on my teeth because mm. I was so stressed. Mm. And then I decided to change everything, which was the best decision I could have made. But your, your story and, and mine in different ways has got lots of parallels, which makes me think, I'll get to a question, is that perhaps this is quite common. Perhaps this is more common than perhaps is spoken about out there. What do you think about that? I think that that's absolutely true. And I think part of the problem is that we're socialized to not talk about these things. And so um, the experience that we end up having is that we feel terrible. And then we exacerbate that feeling by thinking that we're the only ones. Because no one talks about it. And so, you know, I, I, I'm on this grand tour uh, with the book and speaking doing these events that are that are a combination of a reading from the book and conversation and the thing that's extraordinary nick is that every single event someone comes up to me and says i have to explain to you the parallels between your life and my life and you know i'll say it you're you, are you in your 40s 45 45 right so, you know, we're both white, we're both relatively privileged, we both come from a particular background. You may have had poverty like me as a child and that sort of thing, but we're, we're okay. Last week I was in Dublin doing a reading. Black woman sitting in the front row, tears streaming down her eyes, you know, down her cheeks as we're talking. She says, I was born in Zimbabwe. My father was arrested and, and disappeared on Robbins Island as a political activist. Your story is my story. Now, wait a minute. We're born in completely different circumstances. And so not only is it more common, you know, marginal success in life, um, the emptiness and hollowness of that success, the feeling that we're not living the life that we were born to live, and then a kind of Saul on the road to Damascus turning into Paul kind of epiphany moment. 
Not only is that common, but so much of the suffering that you and I both speak about, that's common. And we are socialized to not talk about these things. And the result is we live in isolation and we suffer alone. And then there's a point, I suppose, where, I suppose not for everyone, but there's a point where, you know, you get to, you say to yourself, that's enough. That's right. Um, certainly what happened to me where I was like, I, there's, there is not one more day that I'm going to do this for whatever reason. I need, to, I need to find a new way. So there are people like that. And, you know, I kind of want to get into some of that because you talk about that in, in your book. Um, but there are other people who sort of sit and suffer in silence for years. I mean, I the example I use, and I was um, in London uh, yesterday. I know you're in London t- and today. But, you know, when you, you sort of see people commuting at whatever time in the morning and they look like they're, they're just, you know, they might as well be dead. <laughs> they don't look happy. <laughs> and so what, what? how does someone go? What's the point where you make the step change to what you've done, what I'm doing now? Um, versus suffering in silence. How, how do people make that transition if they're prepared to do it? Is it an acknowledgement? Well, let's, let, let's, talk, let's talk about the people who suffer in silence for a moment because uh, there are far more of them than there are those of us who heed a different call. Um, I think it was Emerson who wrote in the 19th century, the vast majority of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Those are the people that you saw on the train. Um, And I don't know about your parents, but I can tell you that mine, uh, my my father in particular, uh, was socialized to suffer in silence. You know, and again, when I was in Dublin last week, all I had to do was mention. And so what did that our parents generation do? They came home and they drank. They came home and, and spewed bitterness onto their children to their spouses a lucky few a happy few were able to get to the next level um but the vast majority are socialized to say nothing there's a wonderful book in the states called um, i just don't want to talk about it and it's about men and their relationship to depression right okay I just don't want to talk about it. And so because we socialize at such a young age to not know how to talk about the things that we struggle with, why is it a surprise that the vast majority of people lead lives of quiet desperation? Okay. So then there are a few of us, the happy few, for whom enough is enough is enough. For you, it was your teeth. For me, it was suicidal ideation, migraines, and all sorts of somaticized pain and suffering. And I, I could have gone either way. I could have take, given in to those impulses, or I finally did something, not finally did something, I did something wise. I reached out to my therapist. And, you know, to be clear, what I said when I reached out to my therapist at this sort of pivotal moment was, put me in a hospital, I'm done. And instead of putting me into the hospital, she made a joke and made me laugh and made me feel like I'm okay. And I started a long climb out of a hole that I had found myself into. 
And that's the response to the call, uppercase T, uppercase C, the call. And the thing is, we're often called, and again, we're socialized to not hear it. Mm, okay, interesting. I mean, in terms of, there's lots, there's lots of reflections I've got now. I'm sort of intently listening to everything you're saying. <laughs> it's a, there are definitely parallels, as I said beforehand. If someone, because I know people who they don't, they may not go to the point of where you were, right? And and certainly mine was mine was more physical. Yours was maybe slightly different to that, but even so, similar similar um, uh, impetus behind it. So some people just kind of sit in the middle. You know what I mean? It's not quite bad enough, but I'm not prepared to face any fear to go to where it could be great. So the zombie what? state. Yeah, which is in many ways cases worse. I'd prefer to have the epiphany, as I call it, or the point where you have to make a decision, whatever that decision is, than not. Right. When If someone's in that position, because I do know a lot of people who reach out to me are in that position. Yeah, they're listening to, they're going to be listening to this podcast. You know, this is going to go live at the start of a new decade. I mean, I'm going to call this episode, you know, reboot your business, reboot your life for a new decade. You know, it's a, it's a point where people, if they're feeling like that, can make a choice. What do you advise them to do? What's the first thing they should do? Is the, the, should they speak to someone? Should they? Maybe they, they should they read themselves? a book. <laughs> <laughs> Is it called Reboot by any chance? Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, no, but I mean, but there is that. I mean, I for me, it was about reading books and reaching out to people. But, um, you know, I'm just curious about how you, what you would say. Well, we joke, but I think your answer, the answer to your own question is actually in the second half of what you just said, reach out to people. Right. Um, the, the real thing. And, and, and for me, the books that I read included things like Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer, When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron, Faith by Sharon Salzberg. Those books weren't just intellectual journeys. Right. A good book is a kind of spiritual companion. Um, uh, and. Uh, the image that comes to mind is to reach out to a friend. Sometimes those friends are authors, right? And and the the true image that I have, the wish that I have, is that we would all just listen to each other, right? Um, just take a walk, shoulder to shoulder, and speak from your heart to someone who can hear it who will turn around and share the same thing, you will be shocked. Just, you know, we, we start, and the first thing you say to me is the parallels between our lives, Jerry. Now, we're talking via video, but we could imagine ourselves going for a walk, sitting shoulder to shoulder, and you tell me about being 10 years old and what you discovered about yourself. That experience, we don't have enough of that in our lives. And that's where the really, truly, uh, the, the true gift of companionship comes. Yeah. No, I, I, I see that. And obviously we see it even more so now with the onset of phones and social media and people, you know, we talked about the zombie state of someone on a train. There's the zombie state of people just walking around the streets. Isn't there? So that lack that lack of connection and you know it's not it's not really the technology per se it's the fact i mean we can have an interesting conversation you know however many miles away we are today but it's the fact that you know we're having the conversation and i just don't think people do that anymore not in the way that they potentially used to do and therefore everything feelings emotions 
goals, objectives, ambition, all that sort of stuff just gets bottled up um, and you don't get to share that for either reason, for celebration, which is also as important as, you know, getting some help with it. Well, I, I think what's happening between us right now is that we are present for each other, right? So even though there's a mediation occurring, which is, which is the technology, it's still enabling us to not be distracted and not pay attention to other things going on. And so, oh, right, the Buddhists have been talking about this for thousands of years. Oh, I'm supposed to be present to my life. Therefore, I'm supposed to be present to the people in my life. And a magical thing happens. Even though I suffer, I feel better. Right? That's really the core of the message. So when we go for a walk, and we're walking shoulder to shoulder, we're with each other. Now, it's just as possible to go for a walk together and stand shoulder to shoulder, and both of us have our nose in our phones. Well, that's not what we mean. Right? Take your child for a walk. Take your, take your loved ones for a walk. Sit by a lake. Look at the lake and just speak what occurs to you. Without expectation of outcome or performance, just be with each other. And I know, I know, it's easier said than done. No, it's, but it's, you know, I use the word intention a lot on this podcast. I think people get sick of me saying the word so much. But, you know, when you, when you have that sort of um, intention to, to live and be present, and I talk about it in the context of business a lot, you know, because obviously it's scale up your business, right? But I often say it's scale up your business, scale up your life, because both of the things are very much related. If you show up to work, you know, with your team, your presence, your listening, you know, um, one of the other things I know you talk about, which I fully believe in, I think you called it learning to stand still. Um, I, I use the term slow down to speed up, right? Because I find that actually just slowing down and being present allows you to be, you know, more focused and to get more done and to be generally, back to my word, more intentional. Um, but lots of people these days just tend to be in this chaotic, almost hurricane or, or whatever else of everything's just happening to them and they're letting that happen. And for me, it's not so much that it's happening, it's the fact that they don't know how to get out of it. I don't have a toolkit, and if there is a toolkit, but there's got to be some practical things that you just start doing. Um, you know, for me, meditation was probably the first piece of that. Right. Was there anything like that for you? Sure, uh, meditation in the in the same path. I mean, I remember my first meditation session, um, first true meditation session, and I remember just coming out of the session. I may have sat together for five minutes, and I just burst into tears. And I think it was the first time since childhood, since, you know, I talk about my relationship to this tree in, in the book. It's the first time since I, I stepped out of that tree and that I was actually quiet and with my own self. And I began listening to my own heart. And the thing that came out was just tears because I've been moving so fast in my life that I, it was like I paid attention to the, to, the, to the pain. And, and then I began to understand, I began a path of understanding the choices that I made in my life. 
So, you know, and, and I think we should be clear. It's not just, it's not enough to just sit still or to stand still. Not enough. What you do in that moment that starts to create the transformation. But we can get to that. No, I, I do a thing. I don't, I don't wouldn't say I do it every morning, but um, two or three times a week, I do a, a meditation, which is around um, thinking back around memories that have sort of, you know, had influence on my life which is really, it's probably more of a gratitude meditation. I think you'd call it that more than anything else. Because if you think back to some amazing things that have happened that you're grateful for, and they can be small things, big things, doesn't really matter. They they take you to a different place in terms of how you think and feel. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm a big believer if, you, if you're grateful for everything that you have in life, um, then, you, you know, you have more power and more in energy, if you like, to be able to move forward as opposed to thinking that everything is up against you. I mean, your example beforehand of the lady in Dublin, I mean, her story, my story, your story, very, very different stories. In some cases, I spoke to a guy yesterday, actually, who, who literally left his family back in Africa and came over here to make make something of himself. I haven't got that story. I've got a different story. But how those things land with you, you know, they still land and hit you in whatever way it, it, that's the case. So, so no, it's, it, it's an interesting one. I, I find, as I said, the people who... Who reach out to me they they normally reach out in a, in a psychology of being stressed and stuck mm. and the first thing i usually say to them is well you know you've got a your you you have the choice to change that and then they say how mm. and i've got a thing i suggest <laughs> mm. which is usually about having a really clear vision of what you want your life to be like mm. so jump forward and say actually go forward and say what do you want your life to be like mm. you know where, where do you want to spend your time who do you want to spend it with you know, what, what is, and, and then start from that position and then work out how you're going to get there. But if you have the vision, it starts to give you the power and the juice to be able to go there. I'll, I'll give you a question that, that occurs to me. And this came to me from uh, one of the coaches who, with whom I work uh, at Reboot. Um, we were both talking about some fears that we have about our hearts. And uh, I have uh, a mild, mild case of heart disease that, you know, eventually will will be a problem for me um and he had heart surgery about a year ago and he gave me a wonderful question he said how do you want to spend your minutes right so it's not even this long-term vision it's you have minutes how do you want to spend them um i think that that's a powerful powerful question can can i build upon one of the the gratitude points that you're making and that is um and this, this I really credit my Buddhist teacher, uh, Pema Chodron, with. And that is to be grateful for even the difficulties. To not just look back on your life and be grateful for the positive impact that people have had, but be grateful for it all. Because every bit of it created the person that you are, even the suffering. And now that's not to romanticize the suffering, but it's to acknowledge the fullness of our experience. Uh, the poet Rumi says in his poem, The Guest House, um, to, to, to welcome it all in, the meanness, the depressions, the joys, the sadness. Um, this being human is a guest house. Welcome it all in. Um, what I have found is that when we can truly internalize that attitude, um, we're better able to withstand uh, the pain that uh, negative experiences, which are inevitable, uh, occur. You know, I've I've, um, 
I, I say sometimes everything in life serves you. That's right. And um, one of the things I've found, if I if I look back at you know sort of how I've how I've got to where I've got to, and certainly the the period of time when I was as I said before, and having quite high success and achievement. There was a path that got me even to that, which wasn't the path that I first had growing up. You know, I, I had to recreate myself through my teens to even get to that point. Mm. How I recreated myself to then get to what I do now was all part of that journey as well. Had I not seen what it looked like from that perspective, I wouldn't have then made the pivot to what I want to do now. So all of those things I look back and I go, wow, you know, they, they are gifts as long as I frame them in that way. They could equally be things that killed me, so to speak, if I look at them that way. So that, that is the case of choice. Some people struggle with that concept, though. Some people don't get it because they think, well, you know, I'm a victim. This happened to me, so therefore I'm going to blame everything on everyone else. And they sort of operate in that sort of disempowered state. Right. That's, what, that's where that question that my therapist once taught me comes in handy. The question that I'm, I'm relatively famous for is how have I been complicit in creating the conditions I say I don't want? And what I often point out is the <laughs> word is complicit not responsible, yeah. right? So to, to visualize it, I'm driving the getaway car with the bank. I am not holding up the teller. And I say I don't want conditions. And yet, in a sense, many of the things that I do, even the things that I say I don't like to do or feel, in some way or another serves me. And right, when we can surface those things, we start to surface the capacity to make choices in our lives. And to me, one of the emblems of being an adult is the capacity to make choices. I choose to see how I am going to react to this. It's a very powerful statement. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think if, if people if people can realize that more than they do now, and I'm talking about most people, not necessarily everyone, um, then that makes a huge difference because people operate or feel they operate in this point of no choice or no no ability to make a decision. Uh, And the other thing I was talking to another guy about recently on an interview was no ability to change. And um, this person's perspective on that is change happens in an instant. It's a choice. You can make it as big or small as you want it to be. But again, people struggle with that as a thought because they want it to be, oh my God, I can't change. I've always been like this. But that's just a pattern that's more programming that's been in someone's head. That's right. That's right. All right. What, what I'd like to do, if, if that's okay, is because, is as I said, I've, I've read your book. Um, I think there's a whole heap of really important lessons in that. Um, it'd be good, I think, because what I always say on the podcast is it's good to put a little bit of practicality into where, because people listen to this and they kind of get it. A lot of people say to me they get it you know, intellectually, but they don't get it emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I say mindset is the game, right? So you've got to start to get this stuff and feel it in the heart and the head. So if we go through your book, you know, you've got a whole heap of different concepts in here. Um, one of the things that I took away, well, the first the first point that you really go into is this concept of radical self-inquiry. Can you just take us through what you mean by that? Sure. Um, it's it's just a phrase I coined to to explain this process of which that question I asked, for example, is a really good uh, expression. Um, how have I been complicit? Um, it's the process by which um, the masks that we wear are skillfully and very importantly, compassionately stripped away so that there's no place to hide. You know, in Buddhism, one of the most important concepts is that delusion the ways in which we fool ourselves 
increases suffering. And so invariably, the people who are drawn to, say, your podcast or my work, they're hurting. And so it's it, the, in, the, in, the, the impulse when we're hurting is to just recoil. And really what's behind the whole notion of radical self-inquiry is, okay, you're hurting, now lean in. But that hurts, uh-huh, I know. But do we want it to stop hurting? Right, because we oftentimes will run away from issues. And so radical self-inquiry is simply the process of sitting still, asking yourself truly open and honest questions, such as how do I want to spend my minutes? Because the, you know, the problem with that question is it implies I only have minutes. Now, lastly, it's radical because we don't do it. We don't wake up and say, how do I want to spend my day today? We just do. No. No. Most, well, mo- most people. <laughs> most people. Most people. And as I say, you know, do what most people don't do and then you'll have an outstanding life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, one of the things I advise people to do is to actually wake up and, and do that, plan their day, you know, make sure, not just plan their day in terms of I'm having this many meetings, but how do you, you know, how do you want to um, feel? How do you want to influence, you know, how are you moving forward on whatever your vision and your goals are? But, you know, yeah, I, just a business I, I, thing. I'll give you a preliminary step to even that. Very basic step. So it's the core of my daily journaling practice. It goes like this. Right now I'm feeling... Because that act of simply tuning in and paying attention to how you're feeling in this moment, that is radical. So I don't even know, I I wouldn't even know how to begin to think about how I want to spend my day without first understanding how I'm feeling in this moment. And, you know, and this is a business podcast. My book is a business book. Imagine you start every business meeting with pausing and saying, how are we doing right now? And so imagine not going into 2020 planning without first checking in how 2019 was. Oh, radical. And yeah. that's so pragmatic when you really think about it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's the point I made beforehand about that, you know, which is again is also in your book about learning to stand still. And I say slow down to speed up. The number of times I work with people and everything is 100 miles an hour hmm. at least. And, you know, it was funny. I was, I was speaking to a, a gentleman just before speaking to you, and I'm helping him at the moment scale his business up. Um, and he had all these things written down. I mean, the amount of overwhelm this guy was suffering from. Lovely guy, by the way. But, but I, we simplified it down to a couple of things, you know. And the first thing was slow down. Slow right down. Because if you, if you get, the, you know, you're going to get momentum, and be able to speed up if you if you allow yourself to get there, not try and be somewhere which is going to be just so difficult for you, you know, first to do the work, but more importantly to um, be able to contemplate what that is. Uh, I'm, going to give again, you, most people- I'm going to give you a line that my boxing coach gave me, which she got in the Army when she was uh, well, a captain in the Army. And it goes like this, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, fast is deadly. And so the goal isn't even slow down or speed up, it's smooth. 
Because what happens is out of the overwhelm and the sense of anxiety that comes, they grip harder and they move faster. And so your impulse is spot on. It's like slow down, go smooth, and then you'll go fast. And what you accomplish at that point will be extraordinary. Yeah. I think I've heard that statement before applied to the Navy SEALs, I think, or something yes. like that. So yes. like the, the top of the top of the military, you know, That's they're right. trained to operate like that. It's brilliant. That's right. One of the one of the other concepts that I thought was really, really strong, um, and it kind of kind of jumps a little bit towards the end. There's a lot of stuff in between, but I, I'm always drawn to the, the concept of being authentic. So one of the things I was taught in my corporate career very early on was you need to be a different person at home as to the person who turns up to work. So you could argue I had some terrible mentors. <laughs> <laughs> I found that actually the opposite of that was true, and I found that out later on. In fact, the only way to really be the best version of myself in that environment was to show up as the person I am now, you know, just me. And you talk about um, being humane, being courageous, and I, and I coined the term authentic in that as well. When you're working with leaders now and you're thinking about kind of the most impactful people that you work with, uh, how is, are they the, is that the characteristics that, that you kind of suggest or as being the most effective impactful? How, do, how did you get to that, that point? Well, the first thing I would say in response is that um, the notion of being two separate selves uh, is uh, um, a deadly myth. Uh, and it kind of works like this. The only way to pull it off is to fake it. And so we pretend that we're not going through something at work that we take to our home or that we're going through something at home that we take to the work. We pretend that that is not true. And so we create this mask of an experience. And it's deadly because if we live our lives out of alignment like that, it oftentimes not only uh, uh, leads to a massive amount of stress and burnout, it leads to um, a dissonance and a lack of trustworthiness. Because as I often teach, um, if you walk into the office, if you're a leader and you have power and you walk into the office and you've had a fight with your spouse over the weekend, everyone around you knows something is wrong. They don't know what it is. And they're going to presume that something's wrong with the company, something's wrong with their work, something's wrong with you, right? And the, everybody's going to walk on eggshells. The sense of trustworthiness is going to go down, right? And oftentimes, folks like you and I are called into an organization and say, we have a trust issue. And I joke, well, are you telling the truth? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We, can't, we don't trust each other. It's like, well, okay. So first... It's a myth. You're bringing both of those things to the work anyway. And second, the whole point is to bring as much of those marvelous people as possible into the workplace and to create, to remove the obstacles so that they can do the best work of their lives. If you take amazing people and give them the opportunity to do the best work of their lives, I guarantee you, your company will succeed. But if you take really, really good people and you prevent them from doing good work by saying, please live a false life, yeah, that's how you're going to struggle as a company. 
And so wow. for me, this, this is, this, this, <laughs> you refer to as authenticity is just plain and simple, good business sense. Just show up. But as we've said all the way through this conversation today, that's not what most people do. Not in my experience. I mean, you know, I, and I, and my experience similar to yours is, you know, some pretty big companies, some, some lots of playing around some big investors, you know, private equity businesses, some of the biggest, biggest in the world. And I don't see that. I don't see that. I mean, I see it now and then it's rare, but it's not in the, in the, in the commonplace. That's because um, we, we, we are socialized to not know what to do when the whole person shows up. It's scary. Very, very early on, we're, we're, we're taught to wear these masks because we don't know what to do. If you show up and, you, and, and I say, hey, Nick, how are you doing today? Oh, I had a fight. I don't know. My relationship's going to make it. I don't know what to do. I feel helpless. And so I brush it aside. Whereas if I simply stay present and say, oh, that must be hard. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to do anything. I just have to stay present. Hmm. So what's your, as you're speaking, then, I mean, my thought is, what's your definition, if you have one, of leadership? No one's ever asked that question before. Can I define a leader instead? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So a leader is someone who holds power and agency over themselves or others or both, and an effective leader manages the programming and the subroutines that exist within them to minimize the negative implications of what they, uh, the, the negative implications of what they've carried since childhood. So the, the, the and, and by that definition, I'll answer the corollary question that arises, everyone can be a leader regardless of position. Brilliant. Good. I mean, I, I to, to sort of paraphrase what you said, and this is this has been the starting point of why I, um, I launched the podcast and what I do now is I think, you know, leadership in any context starts with the ability to lead yourself. Mm -hmm. Or, you or whatever that means. Yeah, or to put it, the, you know, the, the other way, those who try to lead others without first leading themselves are more than likely to cause damage. Within the organization. Yes. Yeah. And and potentially damage to the people in your teams and all sorts of exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah, you see it. And and then it affects culture, you know, and you can feel it when you walk into it. And I've always said, and I've always found this to be true in my personal experience, is the culture of an organization very much follows the values and behaviors, attitude of its leader. We set the tone. Yeah. Wow. So when you work with people, um, which I know you do through your coaching and your um, and your business reboots, what what's some of the common things you see when someone first shows up and says, "Jerry, I need some help." Are there any patterns? Sure. The, the The first thing is that they think that what they want to know is the how to do the job, because they've had a whispered little voice in their head that says, "You don't have a clue as to what you're doing." And so they're often are looking for someone to tell them how to do the job. The second thing that emerges is the sense of being an imposter. That's also very, very common. And then lastly, um, the thing that emerges is the sense of loneliness. 
um, and the struggle that they have because they feel so disconnected from everyone else around them. And those are most often the three most common experiences that people have. And what's and and when you when you work with them, I mean, and they start to they start to show up differently. What are some of the things you see then? They start to sleep. <laughs> yeah, they start to feel one. better. <laughs> right. They they start to uh, stop waking up at two o'clock in the morning, spinning and uh, ruminating, um, or they are nicer uh, and they start to enjoy their lives. Some, the magical few, start to work less hard and enjoy their families more. And many even experience more financial success. And they feel a little disconcerted because they're trying less hard. And all of a sudden, they think that there's some shamanistic magic. I've given them ayahuasca or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and really, all, all it is is that we've just sort of slowed them down. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things I look back. Um, it, it's I, I've used the, I've, I've coined the term beforehand on on the um, on the show about the matrix and the red and the blue pill. And there's a bit where you suddenly learn a new way of doing things, a new a new um, operating blueprints or whatever. And I kind of look at it and go, oh, God, I wish I knew some of this stuff years ago. But it is what it is. But the slowing down piece for me is has been game changing. Being present, slowing down. Um, the, I like the analogy we said about you know the smoothness of that, what it allows you to do by doing that. But again, it's just counterintuitive. Counterintuitive, you think you know it's hustle, hustle, hustle. You've got a lot of people out there saying it's that um, more is better than less. But I've I've personally found that the opposite is definitely true. Mm, I agree with you completely. So one one last question, because you've been very generous with your time, and I've enjoyed the conversation immensely. So thank you, Jerry. But on your in your book. So re- reboot leadership and the art of growing up. It's another definition question because I just want to understand how you. But the the growing up, what is what does that mean to you, and what what do you mean it in terms of the title of the book? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I use it as a verb, not an adjective, to describe the practice of growing up. Um, and a, you know, spoiler alert: the the last line of the book is, and with that, I I mastered the art of growing up. Um, because I don't believe that we ever fully complete that practice. And just like sitting meditation practice is a practice, right? You don't meditate to achieve anything, right? Um, there's that experience. And so what is it that, that adulthood, non-chronological, but true adulthood is? It's that full actualization of self where being present is not, something that you have to uh, consciously choose, but it's the default mechanism. And recognizing the, the bevy of choices that you have throughout your day and seeing your life, seeing the matrix on a regular basis, those are all attributes of being adult taking responsibility for your own internal state and not expecting your organization to make you feel better about yourself. That's an attribute of adulthood. Um, There's a corollary here, which is that I often say that better humans make better leaders. And then I pause 
and I point out that that's obvious. And then I ask the question, well, if it's so obvious, why do we have such crappy leadership? And we have crappy leadership because being a better human, being an adult, is hard. We, most of us choose not to do it. And that opportunity is available to you. And if you lean into that, you will be a better leader. Yeah, wow. Yeah, powerful. It really is. And again, as I said, most people most people don't. So they, they, the opposite they think is true. You know, it's about trying to beat other people, trying to compete, trying to, you know, be, be someone that people expect you to be, et cetera, et cetera. The number of times you see, you know, that the politics at the board table, all of that, and you kind of, it's just tiring. <laughs> it's just tiring. And, um, you know, it's funny when people, just to kind of finish the point, when people come to the podcast, initially they always think it's about, you know, the mechanics of scaling a business. You know, I think it's about marketing, mm. it's about cash flows, it's about putting a good IT system in. <laughs> and I never, I never, I never front end load the conversation that we've had today mm. because it takes people a little bit of time to warm up to it. But there is a bit that after a while they realize actually, you know, how I show up. And the one thing I say at the end of every podcast is be grateful, be brave, have faith, show up, which is a mantra I use. But mm. the show up is important. As soon as that changes, all the other mechanics, they change as well. Mm. Well, that's brilliant. So, yeah. Well, Jerry, listen, how can people um, find you if they want to get in touch? Obviously, your book is available now. They can they can go and get that. Um, they can. As I said, the-, uh, the book has its own website. It almost has its own life. It's rebootbyjerry.com. <laughs> and uh, there's contact information and all that there. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at Jerry Colonna. Um, and I'm on all those social media stuff like that. You know. um, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, as I said, I've, I've massively enjoyed the conversation. It parallels massively with what I've gone through, but with so many of uh, my audience. So thank you very much for giving up your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. You too. And thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate it. So that's a wrap on episode 50 of Scale Up Your Business. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jerry Colonna. As I said, a more deeper, reflective conversation than some of the ones I've had previously, but I always want to bring you interesting people to the show, people who've got different perspectives. Some of them will be more congruent with you and some won't. And that's part of the um, the journey that I'm on to bring, bring different perspectives to scale up your business so that it helps you in different ways. So that's it. We are now, as you're listening to this, we are now in 2020 and moving forward in the new decade. I want to wish every one of you a fantastic new year. I want you to smash your goals in 2020. I want you to reach out to me if I can help in any way, shape or form. Please suggest episodes for the podcast. If you need a quick call with me on anything at all, I'm still very happy to do that. The most important thing for me is that you get to where you want to get to with your business and in turn get to where you want to get to in your life. Set the goals, set the vision, go out there, show up, make it happen. Now is the time. And I'm very, very happy to be with you on that journey. So that's it for today. As I always say, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Bye for now.